Drilling fluids touch just about everything in the drilling process. We're here to deconstruct the drilling process and drilling fluid concepts to provide a deeper understanding of our industry. In each episode, we'll share information, talk to interesting people, and maybe share a few stories along the way. Welcome to The Flow Line, a production of AES Drilling Fluids, brought to you by Matt Offenbacher and Justin Gautier. Welcome to this week's episode of The Flow Line. We've got some special guests with us here today, mainly to help educate on a topic we all know as solids control. We've decided to team up with Derek to actually help us cover some very known topics that would be better explained by the professionals themselves. Uh, but before we get going, I think it's important, let's do some introductions. So obviously we've got myself, Mr. Matt Offenbacher, and why don't you go ahead? Uh, hey guys, I'm Sam Strickland. I'm a technical service engineer for Derek. I service the whole world. Uh, my background is a mud engineer for Halliburton, some drilling fluid experience, and uh, now I'm becoming an expert in sauce control. There you go. And thank you for having us. My name is Matt Wiggins. I'm also in technical service. I'm a representative with Derek. I'm also the sauce control school instructor, so I put on three different types of courses here in the Houston uh, area, and then also we do custom courses around the world because we're a, a small company with a global footprint. There you go. And I think, uh, you know, one thing, we, we got to talk to these guys in advance, and I guess they actually listened to the podcast, which... <laughs> yeah, we didn't know I, anyone actually listened to it, so that I, I was extremely uh, gratifying. Yeah, it's like we're always surprised when people are like, yeah, I've been listening, or they allude to an episode. It's like, wow, people really do listen. So yeah. we are very insecure at the flow line, and we appreciate that <laughs> affirmation. Um, but uh, just, you know, hearing about their passion for training, just, wow, we want to educate the industry. That's obviously what the flow line is about. Um, yeah. Yeah. And so uh, we're just excited to have these guys here, and, and hopefully uh, we all learn a lot from them here quickly. Yeah, and that was one thing when uh, you guys reached out to us that we were extremely uh, you know, happy about was, you know, a lot of folks have reached out, and, and, and a lot of times it can be, hey, have us on the podcast, and right away they, you know, they, they want the exposure. But the one thing that, you know, you guys continuously uh, touched on was just educating the industry and providing different platforms to be able to help you know, provide information to people that otherwise wouldn't really get the opportunity. And, and it's hard because you can't always go to a class and go to a course, take off of work. But by doing the podcast, this allows us to create a, a, just a, a neat, uh, you know, platform to be able to do that. And so, um, you know, we encourage all the listeners out there, if, if we talk about things, ask questions, uh, the folks over at Derek are always just willing to to help the industry learn so at the end of it we'll uh you know announce different ways that uh the listeners can reach out to you guys and uh yeah we're excited it'll be you know a few episodes depending on how much ground we cover but uh, for the listeners out there that are interested in solids control fasten your seatbelts because i think it's going to be a good ride so um i think the most important thing uh you know to to kind of make the introduction to talk you know general solids control um why don't we go ahead and talk about the there's just a before we even get to the equipment the purpose, like what are solids? And I'm going to punt that back to you guys. So do you mind describing, you know, what solids are and how do we actually accumulate these types of things into the mud? Sure. I, I guess uh, if you want to really get down to the specifics of what solids are, we can go all the way back to millions of years ago to the dinosaurs. But, <laughs> of course. Uh, you know, microorganisms, uh, uh, dinosaurs and other species that were on the earth over time, you know, died. Um, 
and were pretty much covered in, in layers upon layers of earth with time, temperature, and pressure. Mm-hmm. And, of course, all those organisms in uh, the sediment and, and uh, the material end up, um, you know, becoming different types of, of formation, which we are, are drill through now. And mm-hmm. so when you, you know, utilize your drill bit and your rig operations and your, your bit is actually generating uh, bits and pieces of, of, you know, you can call it rock or just say formation, but as it, you know, makes it way up to the surface, uh, then you're looking at just a conglomerate of all different sizes, shapes, types of, of sediment. And then we categorize all those under the big umbrella of, of shale. And uh, there's four main categories of shale. Uh, there's, you know, a renaceous shale, which is typically your sand and your, your quartz and harder type materials. Uh, your calcareous shell, which is uh, a little bit softer, chalk, lime, things that contain a lot of calcium. Uh, you've got your uh, ferruginous shell, which are also extremely hard sediments. Um, they contain iron and, and some other different materials. And then, of course, your carbonaceous shell, which is where the kerogen and the uh, the pay zone uh, typically is, is starting to be seen. Uh, but, uh, obviously, when you're drilling... All those cuttings and all those different forms are coming up to the surface, and you know obviously they're going to be entrained within your drilling fluid, uh, which you're passing you know through your tanks and back down your string to the bit. Um, but there's no reason to recirculate those cuttings. You're bringing them out of the hole on purpose. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the overall purpose of solids control is ultimately solids removal to take those cuttings, separate them from the drilling fluid dispose of them, and then maintain your drilling fluid in a a certain range. Well, back to your point on shale, isn't shale (laughs) technically a geologic term that's based more on size classification? Um, I I think that's just one thing that that gets sort of confused by folks is they hear shale, and of course we think of reactive clays or we think of unconventional shale plays, the kerogen-rich material that you're describing. Um, But in reality, shale is also a, a size classification in geology where a lot of things are shale that contain sand as you mentioned and and you know along that that line of things correct sure sure and when it comes to actually sizing solids and, and classifying them uh, we kind of stray away really from just what is the specific type of material you're bringing up but more on what is the size of the material you're bringing up uh, and that helps you to then select the equipment, select the the, the screens or the, the settings uh, on each piece in order to remove those different sizes. Gotcha. So <clears throat> you, you kind of mentioned it, but let's touch a little bit more on, on the, the objective and the, and the purpose and describing, you know, the good solids from the bad solids. Because ultimately, if you eliminated all the solids out of your drilling fluids, that would have some detrimental effects. So can you touch on that? A- absolutely. And then I'm going to let... Sam jump in as well, but um, you know when you originally build your your base fluid, your 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 drilling fluid in order to to start your well, uh, you purposely add what's called low gravity solids, which are also forms of of solids, the same as your formation. There's clays and and different commercial products that you'd put in to give the you know, obviously the specific rheological properties. Um, so when you add those solids to build your base fluid, which is what we call your clean mud, uh, in order to you know start your drilling operation, you have 
a certain content or certain volume percent of solids already in the system, but that's considered the like the acceptable range and the the clean mud range. Mm-hmm. Uh, then, as you drill, you're going to add to that volume percent, and uh, you're going to be generating more solids into the system. And there is a certain range, uh, you know, over time that uh, we've seen, you know, over the years that um, you know operations will continue to. Uh, operate efficiently, and then also where things will start to fail, you'll have non-productive time, um, and it's all not as much the products you purposely put in your system, but it's it's sure. what you generated into your system. Right. So a question I had, and this is something that you know on a rig often is asked, and I'd like to hear your take on it, um, is is what when you build a system. What's a realistic percent of, of solids in the mud? Now, I know that that totally varies dependent on mud weight, what type of system, but could you give a range? Because a lot of times a system gets hauled out and it's like, oh, you've already got 4% low gravity solids. What happened? But can you describe that and, and why that maybe happens? Sure. And so when we talk about commercial solids, solids that are put into the mud on purpose, so to speak, the first one that comes to mind for me is bentonite. Mm-hmm. You know, bentonite provides your rheological properties, your viscosity in the mud. So you're going to have solids in clean mud. And I would say anywhere from 2 to 4% is probably in the range that you'll have as far as a solids content with clean, unweighted mud. The other solid that you might add on purpose is uh, bayrite, you know, to weigh your mud up. So the, obviously the heavier the mud weight, the more overall solids content you're going to have. Bentonite's going to be a low-gravity solid, a lighter-weight solid. And generally, when we speak about high-gravity solids, we specifically reference bayrite. So we, we tend to separate those out, and we don't really view high-gravity solids as, a, as bad as a low-gravity solid because mm-hmm. your drill cuttings are also low-gravity solids. But absolutely, when mud comes to the rig site, you can plan on 2 to 4% uh, low-gravity solids in the mud. Even if the mud hasn't even been drilled with. Even if it hasn't been drilled with, correct. So if you burn a retort, which as a, a mud engineer you'll do in your lab there on site, you'll get a solids content as a result if you have never drilled with that mud. Interesting. And so it would, you know, I would imagine that solids control equipment, it's, it oftentimes has a hard time distinguishing, you know, whether they're good solids or bad solids. Is that right? I mean, well, a lot of times, you know, in, in theory, it's trying to get rid of solids, but... It, how, how does it know which ones are good and which ones are bad? So solids control equipment, I would say there's two basic types of equipment that you see most often in the oil field, and you have a shaker, a shale shaker, and you have a centrifuge. And a shale shaker will operate with screens that have specific opening sizes, and they discriminate based on size of cuttings. It's strictly on the size of the cutting. A centrifuge since it's using centrifugal force, is going to operate more on the mass of the particle. So there are two different ways we can discriminate. The way you can kind of counter what's a good solid versus a bad solid is the API tries to help us out. So they have specific standards for bentonite and bayrite, and they're supposed to be sized in a very fine range. I think uh, Bentonite can be as fine as six microns, which is about the size of a red blood cell. It's very, very small. It's microscopic. Mm. And bayrite is supposed to have 97% finer than 75 microns, which is the size of a human hair or about an API 200 screen. So if you're using a 200 screen, 97% of your bayrite should go through that screen no problem. Interesting. So the API tries to help us out by having all these good solids be sized extremely fine. 
Hmm. And then all your drill cuttings hopefully are larger than that, and your solids control equipment can screen it out. And we're going to definitely touch on a lot of the equipment uh, in a later episode, but that's just a question that came to mind. So assuming, uh, you know, we're drilling ahead, um, you know, and, and we're incorporating a lot of these bad solids, you know, let's talk a little bit about the detriments. I mean, from your standpoint, what happens when we start accumulating too many bad solids? So solids can have a direct impact on your mud properties. They can affect anything from your plastic viscosity, which is kind of a result of friction between those particles in your mud. It can affect the filtration, uh, filtration control, your filter cake, your wall cake in the mud. It can affect your gel strengths. You know, if that mud is stagnant in the hole while you're tripping out, those gels can set up stronger and stronger if you have a higher solids content. And it can even affect your, your ROP. And as these viscosities get thicker, it also affects your pump pressures and your ECDs downhole. And it can make, it can really hamper your drilling operations. Yeah, I'll just add, um, you know, I, I think it's it's quite interesting, you know, with the ROP point. A, a lot of folks, when you talk about, you know, oh, the plastic viscosity is getting high, um, what does that actually mean? Or, oh, my fluid loss is high. You know, as you mentioned with pump pressures, with higher fluid loss, there's risk of getting stuck. Um, it's the, you know, it's the undesirable effect. And basically, we're balancing out the economics of how much, how many solids I can tolerate versus what I can do to get rid of them. Um, and this is one of those things we talked about base oils recently. When folks introduce a new base oil, you see all these, these people, folks bragging about how they got 40% faster ROP. The reason they got 40% faster ROP on that first well was because they had fresh, clean mud that didn't have any solids in it. Right. <laughs> um, show me on well five what that looks like. Um, and you seldom to never hear the follow-up of how it, it tends to fall in line with the rest of the pack at that point. Sure. And I, th- I mean, there's definitely a balance on having some solids in the mud as well. You have to have those properties to, to drill. You have to have some viscosity. If you want to weigh your mud up, you have to have some viscosity to clean the hole as well. Um, I think if none of those things were important, we would just drill with clear water and we'd drill fast and we could not wear out our pump parts and not wear out these things. But um, we have to have those. And so you have to find the balance point where you have enough solids to provide the properties that you want and nothing more that will slow you down. Right. So, and you kind of mentioned it, talking a little bit about equipment. I mean, what kind of detrimental effects have you guys experienced, uh, you know, when solids start to get out of control? Because I'd imagine, I mean, the, the, the increase in solids just creates more abrasion, uh, especially with the high pressures and high temperatures. Can you touch on that? Absolutely. Downhole tools such as mud motors and MWD tools, you know, they have very tight tolerances as these muds are p- pumping through them at high, very high rates, anywhere I don't know, up to 1,000 gallons a minute. I know a lot of the, the laterals here in the U.S. are maybe 600 gallons a minute. And as these fluids are passing through these parts, it's kind of sandblasting them as you have more and more particles in them. That's friction and that's abrasion. And these expensive tools down hole are going to wear out. And that goes for your mud pumps too. As these liners and these, these rods inside these liners rub against each other, if you have p- particles in them, it's going to create more friction and wear them out. And it's going to cost you more money. Right. Yeah, and one, I mean, one of the things, the minute I see a tool failure, I want to mud check right away. Um, if it's a tool failure or pumps are washing out prematurely, if if those things are happening, we need to take a, a quick look at exactly what's going on. Um, hopefully, we've known about it long before that. Um, but the fact of the matter is that, I mean, it's there, there could be a solids issue. It could just be that that was its time, erosion over time. But uh, a lot of times what we see is that a shaker was bypassed something was overlooked um and then we've all got 
something to deal with. Absolutely. Right. Right. So <clears throat> you mentioned ROP. Um, have has there been a lot of studies or are you guys aware of anything that sort of has has studied the detriment effects and like how an increase in solids can affect ROP? Is that something that's ever been measured or and like I'm just shooting in the dark here. There may or may not be, but just something that kind of popped into my head. Uh, prior to mentioning any studies, I want to kind of clarify how the solids are affecting the ROP. Mm, good generally. point. So when mud exits the drill bit, uh, the purpose of that fluid is obviously to uh, wet the formation, provide a little bit of hydraulic impact, and then uh, also to sweep the cuttings out from the face of the bit. So uh, let's just imagine that the fluid is, is exiting at a really high velocity, hits the formation. Uh, formation is not completely solid. It's slightly porous. There's going to be micro fractures, uh, especially as the, the teeth of the bit or the uh, diamonds or whatever it is type of bit you're using are, are impacting the formation. Well, that fluid enters into the, um, those micro fractures and gives you a little bit of wetting and, and softens the formation. Uh, but when you have a, a fluid that the viscosity has increased, um, it's going to be harder to push through the nozzles of the bit. And then if it's packed full of solids, as the fluid attempts to enter those fractures, it's the solids that actually uh, kind of like building its own little filter cake within or LCM within those fractures. It, it plugs them up before the rest of the fluid could actually enter and and soften the formation so therefore it's uh it's a little bit uh harder and longer for the bit to actually you know generate the cuttings and and remove that section of hole Mm. therefore it slows you down so is that why a lot of times people will try and drill you know assuming density is no issue with clear water i mean i know back in canada at the top hole sections we would normally flock water drill and the the whole goal and it was almost like a friendly competition amongst derrick men is we'd always see who has the clearest water at the suction. And, and, you know, when you'd make a connection, if that drill pipe, you'd look at it, and if it would be clear on top is, you know, kind of a high-five type of deal. But the, the amount of ROP that you'd see drilling with clear water, was it was it was astronomical compared to, you know, as soon as you start mudding up, introducing solids, you, you know, the ROP would drop off almost instantaneously. So um, it's interesting for you to kind of clarify that because it was something I always was curious about. And I knew that, you know, uh, less solids, better ROP, but mm-hmm. but to understand sort of the mechanics behind that, does it matter on like what type of formation uh, you would see? Like if, hypothetically speaking, you're drilling with something with solids. Um, does it matter what type of formation? Will you always see an increase in ROP or does it does it matter? Do you, do you know? I haven't seen a discrimination between formation types. I think the general trend is just that if you have the same formation and you drill with a clear fluid, versus a viscous fluid, the clear fluid will drill faster. Now, that, that difference and that gap between the two may change with formation, but in general, the clearer fluid will drill faster. Gotcha. gotcha. Yeah, I think the thing to keep in mind is all the other things you're looking at for in, in mud properties. I, I guess this is this is a constant conversation I have with customers who are like, why don't we just drill with brine? Because I heard one time somewhere up in Canada, for example, <laughs> my, my favorite example, yeah. Um, you know, and, and we offer a, a clear brine fluid and, and yeah, it, it, it drills faster, um, under the conditions that the formation will tolerate it. You're not going to get stuck. All, all the other things that are reasons that we're not just drilling with water all the time everywhere. Um, right. uh, but typically, uh, nice thin, low solids fluids do great. 
Absolutely. And another place they drill with brines is, for instance, West Texas Intermediates. You know, they'll drill with brines because that'll give you the density, and you don't need solids for density, and you have uh, the annular velocity clean the hole. So you don't need the viscosity as either, um, um, yep. either I guess. So. Yeah, and you mentioned that, you know, you look at the Bakken, everyone's, it's it's flipped. West Texas is right. brine oil-based for the most part, and then Bakken is uh, oil-based brine, and the amount of ROP they can get in the lateral is crazy, but... It's just, it's that environment, the formation is just conducive for, uh, you know, being able to do that. So the application's there. But uh, yeah, it's, it's, you know, again, it's a topic that's been bounced around for, for quite a while and it's always trying to figure out, you know, but ultimately at the end of the day, we're talking about solids and, and the less, uh, you know, solids that you drill that are incorporated in the mud uh, is ROP. And, and for everyone out there, that's the whole goal is, you know, drill faster, you know, deeper and cheaper. So mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's a cost associated with, with getting to that point, but I think the prize outweighs, you know, not spending the money on, on solids and just really ramp, you know, trying to drill as fast as you can without, uh, understanding the importance of solids control. Absolutely. And that's, that's our goal with our equipment and anything else is, is to remove as many solids as possible as we can mechanically. Of course. Um, so one thing I think, um, you know, wrapping up with this. I guess the question I always have for people outside our domain who kind of have to deal with drilling fluids is, um, as we'll acknowledge again, some of your people actually listen to the flow line. Um, <laughs> and in light of that, um, it sounds like we might be answering a few questions for y'all. Is there something you wish every mud engineer could just have in the back of their mind when they're thinking about solids control? Yeah, uh, the... I think there's a lot, actually. I could probably go on for a long time about this subject. Um, I can speak from experience that coming from a drilling fluids background and working for a solids control company that I'm probably 10 times the mud engineer now Mm. than I was back then, having learned this side of things. Uh, But just really, if you're more efficient on the solids control end, it really does make your job easier as a mud engineer. It's one less thing you have to worry about because... Um, there's two ways you can counter the, the ill effects of solids, right? You can try to keep them out um, from your equipment. You can use your equipment to try to screen them out of your mud, or you can dilute to reduce the concentration. And as mud engineers, if you have to dilute a lot, you have to mix a lot, and your, your bills get higher, and the company man's not as happy, and then your derrick hand's not happy because he's got to mix more chemicals. And so it just makes your, your life easier if you can be more efficient on the removal side of things. And I wanted to uh, end that with a quote from a late, great person, Dr. Leon Robison, <laughs> who taught uh, at Petrol Skills and, and uh, for, I don't know, 30 plus years and, and collaborated with Derek and so many in the industry. Uh, but his mantra in terms of solids control was always drill solids are evil. And so that's something in our courses we always end with. It's kind of funny, but at the same time, if you truly understand, the the detriments of the solids and leaving them in your system without an efficient system then um you know they are evil and they will affect your operation yeah and and i want to supplement that by actually saying for all the listeners out there if you're a recent listener i encourage you to go back and listen to the episode we had with uh who's the gentleman from the northeast remember that drilled the superlateral matt the uh um I'm forgetting the name uh, and i apologize but there's an episode we talked about uh extended reach drilling Uh, And and one of the things that uh, he discussed was the importance of solids control and how that allowed them to drill these two mile or what was it like 20,000 foot lateral? 
Yeah, 20,000 foot horizontal sections. Yeah. Wow. Steven Seagrass. Steven Seagrass. Yeah. yeah, that's it. Um, so anyway, it was just something that popped in my head because a lot of what they did was focused around drilling fluids properties. And when you're out that far, the importance of having that dialed in, uh, there, there was a, a great emphasis on that. So something else I wanted to mention, you know, it's just it, it, with, with having the proper solid control, it can allow you to uh, extend multiple things going on downhole and allow you to reach those those different benchmarks and bring, you know, break different records. So uh, again, super important. Um, for all the listeners out there, if you have any questions with regards to this episode, um, you know, I encourage you guys to reach out. What's the best way to reach out to either one of you gentlemen, um, whether it's LinkedIn? I mean, we'll put your guys' links in the show notes, but is there a, a specific way that people can reach out to you guys? Uh, well, Derek Corporation has a, a website that was recently rebranded and redone, and so that's a, a fantastic way. Plus, uh, we're uh, available at any time at our facility off of uh, 15630 Export Plaza Drive right here in Houston. There you go. We've just got show a, up. A, yeah, a, just yeah, come yeah, in. You're, you're welcome to. Uh, there's always a, a technical service uh uh, you know, staff to, to greet you. And, and if you ever want to do a tour, we've got a, a, a working test tank, a full test facility lab. Uh, you know, it's, it's a really nice tour and you can really hands on on all the equipment and uh, get a better idea of it uh, prior to, you know, working on whatever project you got going. Absolutely. Go. We, we are spontaneous. We don't mind giving tours at the you know drop of a hat. And um, also you can reach out at info at Derek.com and the website's Derek.com. And, cool. Um, LinkedIn's great as well. Perfect. Well, uh, we certainly appreciate it. And for all the listeners out there, thanks again for taking time out of your day to listen to The Flow Line. If you'd like to support the show, please subscribe and do us a huge favor to take a few minutes and leave a review. Uh, we'd really appreciate it. Any feedback is welcome. And that's a wrap. So hit us up at flowlinepodcast at aesfluids.com. We'll also put the link in the show notes. And uh, yeah, we encourage you to go on to Derek's website, check them out and see what they have to offer. In the meantime, look forward to part two of Solid Control. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for listening. Please tune in next week for another exciting episode of The Flow Line. And remember, may your returns always be full and your trips always smooth. Views expressed in this program belong to participants and not their employees. The program is for informational purposes only and cannot take the place of seeking professional advice. Copyright AES Drilling Fluids.